We're in the book of Colossians, using it as a springboard, the book of Colossians, the Apostle Paul is talking to the church of Colossae, saying basically, how do you take care of the stranglehold of sin? How do you deal with the issue of false teaching, the issue of people that truncate or minimize the work of Christ? And we come to chapter 3 where Paul says, since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on the things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will appear with him in glory. And I, I said that the last few weeks that there, really, there, there, there are two tracks to run on here. The track number one is Understand who you are in Christ. You've been forgiven by the shed blood of Christ. You've been redeemed by the work of the cross. You've been adopted in the family of God. You've been raised with Christ. You are in Christ in the heavenly realms. You have union with Christ. And we speak of that, I think, frequently. The second track is this. He, said, he says, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will appear with him in glory. So track number two is understand the hope of heaven. And so we've been talking about the, the hope of heaven and what, what that involves and, and what the hope of heaven brings into our lives. Uh, there is a famous statue by that man named Rodin. Rodin. It's called The Thinker. Now, think of that statue. I think about our present context that we've got to think well. We've got to really think well. We gotta live well. When he was asked about the statue, this is what the man who made the sculpture said. He said, what makes my thinker think is that he thinks not only with his brain, but his distended nostrils and compressed lips and with every muscle of his arm, back, and legs, with his clenched fist and his gripping toes. In other words, the totality of all that he is. He thinks well, he thinks deeply. That's why our purpose statement, I think, is so important. Equipping people to pursue Christ's passion, disciples to pursue Christ's passion so they can impact their culture. So equipping disciples. So, so we're, we're to grow. We're to think well. And as we think well, we want to be people who, who live well. And so we come to this passage in Romans 8 this morning. Romans 8 may be my favorite chapter in all the Bible. Romans 8 uh, deals with the glories of who we are in Christ. In Romans 8, it says this, it says, there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. For the law of the Spirit has set us free from the law of sin and of death. And he goes on, he talks about that, that God commends his love toward us and while we're still sinners, Christ died for us. And he talks about being adopted into the family of God. And by the Holy Spirit, we cry out, Abba, Father, we belong to him. Dear Father. And he says, and then the last part of the chapter talks about nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ. Nothing. Tribulation can't. Hardship can't. Sword can't. Nothing separates from the love of Christ. And we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. And verse 32, he who did not spare his own son, but freely gave him up for us all, will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? This is a glorious chapter. But in the midst of the chapter, right in the middle, it talks about our forgiveness, who we are, our adoption, and then the last part, never separated. 
from the love of Christ, he talks about the stark reality of what it means to live in a not perfect world. And he talks about traveling hopefully and also groaning. Traveling hopefully and also groaning. Listen to chapter 8 and verses 18 through 25. Four, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed to us. Now, the word consider here means to think deeply. That means just kind of you run by. It means to, to ponder. I, I, as I ponder and as I think deeply, I am convinced that the sufferings of this present time are not worth compared to the glory that will be ours in Christ. Verse 19, for the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. That the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope, we were saved. Now, hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. So he says this. He says, to live well, we must travel with hope. In this hope, we were saved. The hope that is seen is not hope. The hope that is to come. And as we travel, we travel hopefully and we groan. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, a well-known passage says that hope is the assurance of things longed for and that which is yet to be seen, basically. Hope is that which we know is coming. We live in the already but not yet. We have tasted the beginning of the kingdom of God. We call that inaugurated eschatology. We've tasted it, but we want more. And so I'm I'm saying this morning, my thesis is we must travel hopefully and we must also groan. And to travel hopefully means I'm going to say three threads, threads make up the traveling hopefully. The first thread is this. We serve a great God who is in control who watches over us. A great God who watches over us. And this great God is our shepherd, our king, our savior, our comforter. He is the triune God. Number two, another reason we travel hopefully is not only, number one, everything comes to our life through the loving embrace of the Father and the nail-scarred hands of the Son. But, but number two, God historically breaks into our history with power and might and changes things by a sweeping move of the Holy Spirit. We call that, in some cases, a heaven-sent revival, when He turns cultures around. So, so we always travel with a sense of, of optimism because God is God. And number three, we travel hopefully because we believe there is an eternity that awaits us that is glorious and wonderful and 1,000 times more, more, more grand than anything we can see or imagine right now. 
I've said the last few weeks. If you want to know what heaven is like, go outside and look at the vibrant colors and the beauty of the sky and the blues and the green, and, really, and multiply that times 1,000. Imagine a great meal with the embrace of a friend and multiply that times 1,000. And it's, it's all about what you fix your hope on. This couple is um, a couple that he was the leader of Romania for almost 30 years, 27 years, I think it was. Nicolae Ceausescu, that's his wife. They uh, were part of the Soviet client state. Uh, in 1989, when the Soviet Union collapsed, the satellites also collapsed, including Romania. Ceausescu uh, tried to hold to power, but he was pursued from office, and while he was trying to flee under the cover of darkness, those who were against the, rev the communist state uh, caught up to him. They were put under house arrest. There was a very quick calling of a court, and they tried them and found them guilty of basically raping and pillaging Romania for years and years. And they, they, became, they had millions of dollars in secret funds. They, they were horrible people. And so the court found them guilty, and they went to local army barracks and said, we have the Ceausescu's, we're going to have to execute them by firing squad, we need five volunteers. And everybody jumped up and said, pick me, pick me, which isn't a good thing, by the way. You know, pick me. And they brought them out, and they were going to execute them one at a time. They said, no, we want to be executed together. And so they made them kneel, and they tied their hands. And as they were loading the rifles, the execution squad, he and his wife sang with great gusto a song entitled uh, the, song of, the Song of Liberation. It was, it was, uh, it was the, uh, the song adopted by the communists in the beginning of the Soviet Union. And I have the words here, some of the words here. It's, just, it's called the Internationale. There are no supreme saviors, neither God nor Caesar nor tribune. Producers, let us save ourselves. There's no God. Producers, may we save ourselves. They were shot. I don't know, but that didn't work for me. That didn't work for me. First of all, the lie of being against the, the capitalistic system where you've squir squirreled away millions and millions of dollars, which makes you a liar. But producers let us save ourselves. It doesn't work. Conversely, I told the men at Man to Man this week about a man named John Bradford who died, burned alive in 15 and 55 at the stake. And John Bradford was a preacher of the gospel, died age 44, 45. And Bradford was, um, was sequestered in the Tower of London with a guy named Nicholas Ridley and Hugh Latimer and Thomas Cranmer, wonderful men, godly men. And so as they tied... John Bradford to the stake beside a man named John Leaf, young man. He looked at his co-belligerent, John Bradford did, and this is what he said. It's incredible to me. Be of good comfort, brother Leaf, for we shall have a merry supper with the Lord on this very night. Now that works. That's hope. That's traveling hopefully. And then there's a quote in the bulletin from a man named Oz Guinness in a book entitled Fool's Talk. It's a great book. It's a great statement. This is what he says. The, the immediate which is formed by our present circumstances and our short-term prospects may sometimes be horrific. And it can be. We may be suffering a job loss, a health crisis, a public scandal, the death of a child, 
or the death of a close friend, or a Job-like combination of all the above. Then he says this. But however, but however bad the immediate, the ultimate is always hopeful. And in the tension between the immediate and the ultimate, i.e. heaven, lies the possibility of the resilience of faith. However bad the immediate, the ultimate is always hopeful. Because death is not the final word, disease is not the final word, we have the hope of heaven. Two considerations before we talk about groaning and traveling hopefully. Number one is this. We live in an age loosely called post-modernity. I was listening to a lecture this week by one of a very, very fine thinker from Boston College named Peter Kreft. And Peter Kreft says that post-modernity, he's a professor of philosophy, cannot be defined. It's just, some people say it allows everything. Some people say it allows nothing. It really cannot be defined. But basically it means you call the shots. Basically it means that people had their feet planted firmly in midair. So since we live in this age of post-modernity and we're supposed to speak with dignity and love and compassion to our, our neighbors and our coworkers, we've got to know how to think and we must think deeply. Something came out this week that shocked me. I, I, sometimes I think I've, I've been around, I'm not shockable. This is something from the, the Pew Research Center. It's a demographic firm. It was just released on uh, this past uh, Monday. I did an exhaustive survey of people and they asked this question, is gender determined at birth? Now let me just say this, I'm a little old and I promise you, I've tried to read a lot and 15 years ago at any Christmas party in almost any office of any group of people in this country, if you had said around the food, do you believe gender is determined at birth? People said, what, what are you talking about? What, really, what, what, what are you talking about? Come, I mean, boy or girl, sometimes there's some issues, but what are you talking about? I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a given fact. Not, not today. So the question is, is, is gender determined at birth? And among people who call themselves Christians, Christians, who broad-based Christians, mainline churches and evangelicals, who many of them stand up every Sunday and say, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. That's where you start. In the beginning, God made the heavens and the earth. Yeah, among Christians, the question, do you believe that gender is determined at birth? Guess what percentage said? Yes, of course, sure. The answer is 60%. That just shocked me. Among Catholics, I consider Catholics, you know, they have the confessions and is 51%. I'm going, really? I mean, so, so, so for us to stand up and say that gender is part of the goodness of God's creation makes us really outliers. But it's for you to begin with the Bible. Among those who are nuns, not N-U-N-S, but N-O-N-E-S, who describe themselves as not being religious, having a religious affiliation, those who say that gender is determined at birth is only 40%. I give you this, I think it's shocking. I give you this because you have to realize a Christian worldview and a biblical worldview 
that will be embraced and entertained and listened to is rapidly being pushed off the stage of our culture. So you've got to think well. You've got to live well. You, you, you can't just go along with the, the passing tide. You've got to realize that there's a great God who is Savior and King, and this great God who loves us and cares for us breaks into human history, and there is an eternity that awaits called heaven. And th that, with that in mind, we live with dignity and passion and commitment. And we can press against those things around us, and we travel hopefully. So number two, we travel hopefully and live with courage and biblical integrity, and we must not let this hope get snowed under, to quote Lewis, C.S. Lewis, or, or to be pushed aside. And how easily that happens for a number of reasons. One is the sheer distraction of our age. Somebody recommended a book to me by a guy named Tony Reinke, and I read it. I read it this week. It's entitled, 12 Ways Your Phone is Changing You. Your phone. So I, I picked it up in the last hour and just glanced down, and I had a message from, from a woman in our church named Kitty Weaver. Sent three minutes ago. So why is she sending me a, a message during worship service? It was great timing, so I was able to kill Kitty. So guess how many times a day the average American ch checks their smartphone? Every four minutes of your waking hours, which equals 82,000 a day, I mean a year, boom. And every four minutes is, I think, probably way too high for a lot of us. It's, it's all about distraction. And, and it keeps us from thinking well. You ought to read the book. It's made me think several things, rethink several things in my life. So this morning I got up and, and I did a, a search of the Wall Street Journal Weekend Edition, which I love, the New York Times and the Washington Post, front page articles. There's not one article on the front page that says, you're going to die one day. Not one article says, eternity awaits there's not one article that says, we serve before a God who watches over us to whom we give an account. There's not one article that says, you're adopted in the family by the work of Christ. Not one. We're going to get no help from the culture, is what I'm saying. And it is easy for us to slip into, as Christians, living with as if we're secularist. I need people to speak into my life and to help me not let this hope get snowed under. So I say to you with deep passion, travel hopefully. Now, let's talk about groaning from this passage, groaning, several issues of the groaning process. The groaning involves crying out, God, have mercy upon me because I live in the already but not yet. I've tasted the goodness of the Lord, but I want more. It's part of the groaning process. I want more. Um, listen to this. The groaning process involves, involves the hope. Tom Schreiner, in his wonderful commentary on Romans, says this, Hope is not something that is now seen, for if that which is hoped for is now realized, it is no longer a hope but an attained reality. What is emphasized, again, is the not yet character of Christian redemption. For believers do not yet possess their resurrected bodies. In verse 25, the Apostle Paul in Romans 8 closes the circle by saying, If believers hope for what they do not see, then they wait eagerly for that hope which with endurance regarding attendant circumstances. 
So, so I, I, I groan because I live in the already but not yet example. You gotta, you gotta, these, I hope these examples hit you. This life is full of joys. But it's like this. You've been in a new job for a week and a half. And it is the annual Christmas party. And you've just met a couple of workers, and you go to the party with your spouse, and their spouses are there, and you make small talk, and you try to be friendly, and, and the food is, is, is hot dogs with only mustard. Not slaw, not sauerkraut, not chili. It's just, just mustard and chips and lemonade. And it's, it's, it's not bad, but it is there. And it's in a pretty sterile room, and... And you're there for an hour and a half, and your spouse says, you know, I've, I've kind of got a surprise. We're going to another party. And you say, okay, good. So you leave there, and you go across town, and you pull up to this beautiful home, this gloriously decorated. And you go inside, and to your surprise, there are all your friends that are dear to you. There are family members that you love. There is a blazing fire. is decorated. There are food stations of your favorite international foods with chefs flown in from around the world. And in the corner is your favorite musician performing Yo-Yo Ma. And you say, this is cool. Now, scene one is today. We have good gifts. But scene two is heaven. I'll say it again. If you're not a believer, this is as good as it gets. If you're a believer, this could be today as bad as it gets. And so I ask you are, are you, are you groaning? Are you groaning? Saying, I've tasted, I want more. Secondly, the groaning involves creation. It says in the scripture, it says, for, for verse 22, for we know that the whole creation has been groaning together with us, I think it means together, the whole creation groaning with us in the pains of childbirth until now. The creation, says in verse 21, wants to be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. And now the words, church, listen to me. You, it's not talking about tsunamis and hurricanes and typhoons and horrific snowstorms that paralyzes a city with two feet of snow. He's talking about just general creation. You go outside and, and, and it's beautiful, but it's just a foretaste of the 1,000 times more beautiful that's going to be in heaven. And not to be a killjoy. But I think as part of, when we see a beautiful sunrise or sunset, or we walk on our beaches, or we go across the bridges and see our expansive harbor, or you go to the mountains and see snow-capped mountains, and it's just beautiful beyond words, you should say something inside yourself or to your friend if you're a believer, man, this is beautiful, but really, it's in bondage. It's, it's grown, creation and its beauty is in bondage. And then there's going to be a day when, new heavens and new earth. So, so, so we, we travel with incredible, undeniable, arresting hope. So we groan with creation. Thirdly, we, we groan within ourselves. Verse 23, not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we eagerly await our adoption as sons. Say, well, wait a minute. I thought we're adopted by faith when we come to Jesus. You are. But there is a final glorious adoption when your faith is sight, when Jesus comes again. And so, so we, we groan. We groan inwardly. 
We had the first fruits of the Spirit. I think this is what it means. When you come to faith in Jesus, you're given the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, meekness, self-control. And so me, I say, Lord, for example, thank you for giving me the Holy Spirit. Thank you for giving me, I think, some kindness, but oh, I need more kindness in dealing with people. Lord, I, I need more of the reality of Christ in me. I, Lord, thank you for giving me, pick, pick any one of them, a gentle, a gentleness, but Lord, I need to be more gentle. So I, I'm groaning, Lord. I, I, see, I, I see in my private thoughts that there is pride and there is arrogance and there is I was somewhere the other day and I saw somebody that I, I think personally did me dirty a couple years ago. It caused me a lot of pain. And I've forgiven them before the Lord. And yet when I saw this individual, some of my spirit went. I said, Lord, I'm giving this to you. I'm giving, forgive me my sins as I forgive those who sinned against me. So I'm groaning, saying, Lord, I want to be more forgiving. You see, Romans 8 comes on the heels, obviously, of Romans 7. And I think Romans 7 is crystal clear that he's talking about a believer who delights in the law inwardly. And he says, as a believer, he says, the good things I want to do, I don't always do. And the bad things I don't want to do, I sometimes do. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Wretched man that I am. That's the apostle Paul. I cried that out. I groaned and said, God, have mercy on me. We groan when we see evil supposedly running rampant. We, we groan when we don't see the justice we desire. We, we groan. I, I groan. I've been reading a good bit this past few weeks about a country named Zimbabwe, formerly Rhodesia. There's a man named Robert Mugabe who was a leader for 37 years and there have been several exposés on his life recently and Robert Mugabe was a bad guy. Is a bad guy, 93 years old. He was just deposed from power and one of his henchmen is now president. I don't expect much change in Zimbabwe, but it's, it's horrible. Zimbabwe is a rich country. When it comes to natural resources, it is full of incredible natural resources. If there was a semblance of control and movement against graft and corruption and some type of any internal organization, there would be a trickle-down economics and people would be blessed. But right now, it is suffering. He's raped the country for 37 years. The average Zimbabwean lives on $3 a day. Their troops have been trained by North Korea. They're bad dudes, bad dudes. This expose in the Wall Street Journal was written by a man who lived in Zimbabwe and knew Mugabe. And so Mugabe came to power. There are some people in the South that weren't thrilled about him. And so he sent his army down there and they systematically murdered 20,000 civilians. And it went on for four more years. Just six years ago, there was a movement to have another political party. Imagine that. 
And so Mugabe said, I can't tolerate that. And so they brutally murdered hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people. And this little quote says, many had what doctors refer to as a defense injury, which were ghastly wounds caused to their arms when they tried to protect themselves against a rock or a machete or an axe. The violence was done on a catch and release basis when the tortured returned home with their gruesome stigmata or wounds. They acted as human billboards advertising the consequences of ever opposing Mr. Mugabe. It was carried out by the army. They had a slogan in Shona, which I will not try to pronounce, but it was translated, let us finish them off, called them cockroaches. A wicked man. Even though he's not the president anymore, he will live his days in a palace with his wife, who's 41 years younger than him and who is as bad as he is. And he'll be able to tap into all the wealth he's put in secret bank accounts. And I look at that and I go, God, that, this is... And then I was, I was reading 2 Thessalonians this week. I, tell you, I read a passage and I just started, I just started laughing. With joy. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 8. Listen to this. This is, if you're a justice, I mean, we're all justice people. If you're a justice person, man, you, listen. And the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. The lawless one, the Antichrist. He will slay with the breath of his mouth. The cutthroats and strong men of history who murdered millions. Stalin, Mao Zedong, Pol Pot, Hitler. God have mercy. God have mercy. Now, I, I thought this was, I thought about the passage in John 18. I love the passage in John 18. Christ is on the mountain praying with his men on the night he's betrayed. And so Judas brings up a rabble of soldiers to arrest Jesus with swords and lanterns and all types of armaments. And Jesus is up there praying with a bunch of fishermen. And he steps forward and he says, who do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And he said, I am He. Boom! They fall to the ground. They just fell out. When they saw the majesty and the grandeur and the glory of Jesus. And I thought, that, that's just, that's just a, a brief prequel to 2 Thessalonians with the breath of his mouth. So, so I say, I, I groan, but with hope. Because God is God. Second, third, I, I groan, I groan longing for the redemption of my body. It says here, we groan inwardly, or we groan together. We have the first fruits of the Spirit, and we groan inwardly as we wait for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. So, I've told you that my mom is in a convalescent center now. She needs help 24-7. I was there a few two weeks ago, and you walk inside, and on, on the front wall to the left is a um, giant screen TV monitor type thing, and they have, um, in the upper corner, they have the 
the uh, quote of the day, and then they have the weather forecast. And the most of the screen is taken up with a revolving pictures of about 25 pictures of people who are there uh, and people who visited them. So, so there's something beautiful about older people. There really is. So there's really a beauty. So a lot of these people are, 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 are still very beautiful people. But by the way, guys, you go to these convalescent centers, there's 13 women and one dried up old dude. Okay, just to be honest with you. Okay, just, just do the demographics, okay? So men, hear about it. Anyway, so all these women, and, and four or five of the shots, uh, there are these high schoolers, I, I think they're in a, a drama club because they're dressed as if they're going to do a play, and they're kneeling down, and they've got their arm around the person, and they're smiling. And, and in several of the pictures, the, it's obvious that the people there the, the, have had a stroke or they're in dementia because they're, they're lying there. You know how they just lie there and they're looking into the distance and like, it's really tragic. Another slide shows the people who live there outside in their wheelchairs enjoying, says, enjoying a beautiful autumn day in North Carolina. Many of them are, are tied into their wheelchairs so they won't fall out. And, and I, I stood there looking at them and, I, and this, this thought came to mind. It's an old quote by a guy named Jonathan Swift. You cannot make a silk purse out of what? A sow's ear. You can't make a silk purse out of a sow's ear. Getting old is hard. It, it, it's, 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 just, it's just difficult. And Paul says, we groan longing for the redemption of our body. Just speaking, speaking personally. You get old and your back hurts. You, you get old and you have a bad Achilles tendon, the left one here. You, you get old and your sight isn't what it used to be. You get older and your wife, my wife told me this week, you need to have your hearing checked. I had it checked last year. Ear, nose, and throat surgeon here in our church. And he said, you have good hearing. He says, but there is a frequency that you have trouble hearing at. And it just happens to be the same frequency of your wife's voice. <laughs> I think a lot of men had that same hearing issue. You know? It's kind of universal. She did tell me I need to have my hearing checked. Well, when you get old, you, uh, uh, I have to eat by 5.30, 6 o'clock. I do. I mean, Spaniards eat at 9.30. I, I'm, how, how, how you're an old person in Spain. I eat at 5.30. I eat at 5.30 because I go to bed at 9. When you get old, you get up two, three times during the night to go to the bathroom. When you know you have to watch what you eat because, well, Tums, gas, it's just life. You know, it's okay because a redemption body awaits us. You know, it's okay to be old. I thought about Robert Mugabe, reading about Robert Mugabe this week. There was a law passed in Zimbabwe that said every, every business had to have a big picture of Robert Mugabe in it. Or they'd be fined. Or maybe in prison. So everybody ran out and got, a, they got this official picture of Robert Mugabe. The picture is Robert Mugabe at the age of 32 as a freedom fighter. Not 92. 32. I thought of Joseph Stalin. And the official portraits that were all over the Soviet Union of Joseph Stalin that made him look like a Clark Gable almost. 
Joseph Stalin was one ugly dude. Pockmarked face, withered body, uh, short, dumpy. There's nothing about Joseph Stalin that made you think, whoa, Mr. whatever he was, Belarus or Georgia or USSR. You thought, ooh, man. And yet, the official portrait was, man, this guy that was a stud. And what, you know, these that do that, they, they, they have nothing beyond the grave. It's only this life. When Stalin died, the last thing he did is he raised himself up with his good arm and he shook his fist in the face of God and died. So why not put a portrait of yourself that's been photoshopped? Why not have the body of a Mr. Universe and superimpose your head? Because this is the only life you have. It is okay, brothers and sisters, to get old. Heaven awaits. And we need to remind ourselves that I was a few weeks, a few weeks ago, last year, year before last, I bought a pair of black dress shoes. And uh, I don't wear black dress shoes very often, unless it's a funeral or a wedding. So they'll have a limited use. And usually those shoes like that will last me 20, 25 years. And so I said to my daughter, after I was looking at them, I said, these are probably the last black dress shoes I will ever wear or buy. And she said, oh, daddy, don't say things like that. I appreciate that. Spirit saying, yeah, baby, bring it on. But we need to say to each other, you're dying. It's okay. Your body's falling apart. It's okay. Because eternity awaits. So I say to you, travel hopefully and groan as you travel hopefully. Travel hopefully, understanding that life is filled with joy. And we rejoice in the good gifts of life. There are people sitting here that have been so good to me for many years. Thank you. C.S. Lewis is, is, I think C.S. Lewis may be the most quotable guy that lived in the 20th century. And this is what he said in his book, The Problem with Pain, if I can. Here it is. He says, this is so good. It's one paragraph. The, the settled happiness and security which we all desire, God withholds from us by the very nature of the world. Almost, but not yet. I mean, already, but not yet. He says, but, but, but joy and pleasure and merriment, he has scattered broadcast. We are never safe, but we have plenty of fun and some ecstasy. It is not hard to see why. The security we crave would teach us to rest our hearts in this world only and oppose an obstacle of our return to the living God. A few moments of happy love, a landscape, a symphony, a merry meeting with old friends, a bath, a football match. He was talking about soccer. But in heaven now, he knows something about American football. Okay? American football. 38 to 3, baby. I mean, I tell you. Okay. Anyway, a football match have no such tendency. And listen to this sentence. Our Father. Our Father refreshes us on the journey with some pleasant ends, but will not encourage us to mistake them for home. That's beautiful. He refreshes us with friendship and laughter and feasting and pleasantness, but he doesn't want us to mistake them for home. Travel 
hopefully. Number two, live with trusting optimism. Don't, God breaks in. God breaks in. The glass is always halfway full. It really is. Even in our difficult times, heaven awaits. And God breaks in. God changes hearts. God changes cultures. Number three, live with patience. That's what it says here in the text. We wait for it with patience. And also we live by taking hold of the life that is the life. First Timothy 6 says, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, not to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in the living God who gives us all things for our enjoyment. And by doing that, they will lay for themselves a firm foundation for the coming age and take hold of the life that is the life. And a firm foundation with the coming age and your present tense taking hold of the life that's really the life as you live and you travel, hopefully, but also as you groan. Thank God for the hope of heaven. Let's pray. Lord, we are thankful today for your tender mercies. We're thankful for the pleasant ends, the embrace of friendships, for the laughter of children, for the enjoyment of feasting for the ability to see beauty and to hear beauty for the embrace of friends and Lord we receive them as good gifts scattered broadcast but let us not forget that heaven awaits multiply all these gifts by a thousand and that is heaven in the presence of our Savior so this year, this Christmas, uh, let us rejoice in the goodness of Christ. Do not let us let this hope get snowed under. Don't let us be distracted by, by, by good gifts. But conversely, let us be people who embrace the good life, the good things, but also groan. May we travel hopefully in Jesus' name. Amen.